Our sermon passage is from Matthew 12:15 through 32. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only Beelzebub, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will, this, how then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we have come to worship you. We've come to be in your presence. Lord, this is our plea today. Our plea is that over and for all of us who belong to you, all of us who are called by your name, all of us whose names are written in your book of life, would you allow us to experience your saving, healing, redeeming, reconciling power anew? Lord, as we've been singing and worshiping this morning, I've been thinking of all of those in this congregation who are suffering, who are broken, who are hurting, who feel stuck, who feel separated. And Lord, I am praying that you, by your spirit, would work for your people. And as you work, Lord, would you convince us that you're able to do all things? Would you convince us that you're eager to work for your people? And would you make us a people who ask and plead and cry out and look to you? Lord, in this room, if there's anyone who is not your child, who is separated from you, who stands in his or her own 
sin and rebellion. Lord, we're praying that you would redeem, that you would draw, that you would fill with faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's so good to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of Matthew chapter 12, where Sam just read for us. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there are some underneath the chair in front of you. And so feel free to grab and use and even keep one of those if you need it. Um, Sometimes there are passages where we have to think really hard and do logic very consistently to be able to understand the truth that's being conveyed. For some of you, the good news that I'm about to deliver is this passage is not one of those. It's actually quite simple. But the simplicity is the beauty of it. The simple message is this. Jesus is able to accomplish all things in all realms of life. Physical, able to heal. Spiritual, able to heal. In all realms of life, Jesus is able to do all things and is eager to do all things for his people. There it is. Now, the explanation of this is what's in this passage. It's because he's God's chosen, anointed, sent one upon whom God has placed his spirit. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the reality of the passage is Jesus is able to accomplish all things because he is Lord over all things. And in this section of Matthew, as we're working through it, is really going to be driving this point home again and again and again. So if you want to take notes this morning, um, our first point that we want to consider from the, this passage is, is healing power. There is a healing power on display in the ministry of Jesus. There's a healing power on display in the ministry of Jesus. And verse 28 tells us the purpose of Jesus displaying this healing power. It's to tangibly convey to the people of God that his king and his kingdom is here. Jesus' miraculous healing and miraculous power on display is intended to, to validate in some ways the claims and the words of Jesus. That's what he means in verse 28 when it says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, that's the miraculous thing, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The, the, the reign and the kingdom and the blessing and the work of God is here through Jesus as manifest in these healings. So this passage begins uh, with Jesus, we're told in verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. The there is, is a Sabbath day gathering in the synagogue where Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees 
were irate that Jesus would dare do that on the Sabbath. So we're told that he withdrew from there, and many followed him. And as he withdrew, and as many followed him, he continued to carry out this these miraculous works with this healing power. Verse 22. Then we come to a, a particular incident. Verse 22 tells us there's a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute and was brought to him. So there's three issues going on. He's blind. He can't see. He's mute. He can't speak. He's demon-oppressed. He's there's a spiritual component to what's going on with him. I wonder which one of these Jesus is going to heal. And the answer is yes. He heals all of them. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And he cast the demon out of him. So Jesus is moving throughout Galilee, carrying out a ministry of preaching and teaching and displaying this miraculous healing power as a way to give validity and give credence to the things that he's teaching and the claims that he's making about himself. So in last week's story, how did the religious leaders respond to this teaching and this miraculous power of Jesus? They said, this can't be of God because God would never have his anointed one heal on the Sabbath. This time, they say, this can't be the anointed one of God. He actually must be of Satan. Because the only way that he could cast a demon out of this guy is to, to be of the demons himself. Guys, these Pharisees are working overtime to come up with excuses to not respond to what's being manifest right in front of their eyes. And so on one level, they see these works, and in verse 24, some of the people respond and say, could this be the son of David? Could this be the promised one? Could this be the one who's going to free us and deliver us and, and bring God's kingdom to us where we can enjoy God forever? If you want the short, short version of this sermon, that's the right question to ask. That's the right response. But the Pharisees, the, the really good law people, when they heard it, they said, it's only, uh, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. So Beelzebul was kind of a, a, a common reference word for Satan uh, and so they're ultimately saying that, no, he's not the son of David. He's not the son of God. He's of the demons. And so Jesus, in verses 25 through 32, rebukes this thought. 
And he rebukes the thought by saying this. If Satan cast out Satan, then he's divided against himself and his kingdom will not stand. Rather, to cast out demons, one must be of God and must be stronger than Satan, strong enough to bind him, strong enough to overcome him. And and by casting out a demon, Jesus says in verse 29, I'm actually entering into his house and taking what he thinks belongs to his to free it and deliver it. So what's going on in this passage is Jesus is carrying out these healing works because he, the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, is able to accomplish all things, period. Now, before we leave this point, let's just camp there for a minute. Deaf, mute, blind, Possessed. Mute, blind, possessed. Jesus is able to heal in all these realms. Jesus is able to accomplish his powerful work, the works of the kingdom for his people. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do. So by takeaway today, I'm pleading with you, pleading with you to believe that he is able. He's able. Whatever it is that that has us frozen, despairing, hurting, longing, he is able. I remember when I was young and idealistic, I thought like there would be days and weeks and months and years and seasons of life where there wouldn't be anything wrong. You guys remember that shameless idealism that we all had? And everybody over 30 laughs and all the 20-year-olds are like, what's wrong with that? Because it never exists. It never exists. But I also don't want to shame people who are going through smaller burdens relative to others. Because if it's debilitating, it matters to the Lord. And if it's debilitating, Jesus is able. He's able. Now we can talk about mental health, and we can talk about trauma, and we can talk about abuse, and we can talk about abusive power dynamics in relationships, and we can talk about physical maladies, and we can talk about cancer and strokes and death, and we can talk about the whole realm of it all. And there's some nuance there, but the overarching reality of all these passages like Matthew 12 in the Gospels is Jesus is able. He's able. So let's look to him. Let's look to him. 
And just to undermine some of the questions you have, I think you can look to him and take medicines. I think you can look to him and go to therapy. I think you can look to him and seek counsel. I think you can look to him and ask friends to help you. I think you can look to him. Like, like looking to him doesn't mean we cut means out of the conversation, but it means we look to him. So what if we all believe that he indeed is able to work and move and accomplish all things? And if he's able, second, what if we ask? What if we ask? You know, in raising kids, I often get these pronouncements like, hey, dad, the movie costs $20. Thanks for sharing that with me. Is, is there a request in that statement? I probably say this 500 times a week right now. Oh, yeah, could I have $20? Oh, you, so you, okay, so we could talk about you need $20. Well, I don't think the Lord's going to judge our prayers quite as unlovingly as I judge my kids' requests for money. But the principle stands. If he's able, and if we trust he's able, let's ask. Let's ask. So many of us know we ought to pray more, but we don't know how to pray. Just start right there. Ask. Ask the Lord to do the work that only the Lord can do. And I don't think there's anything too trivial, anything too trite for us. As long as we shrouded in, not my will, but your will be done, to ask and ask and ask. So if he's able, let us ask. I shouldn't make that sound so undeterminative. Because he's able, let us ask. So, so the real main thread through this passage is the healing power of Jesus on display. But there's a second thread, uh, a biblical kind of theological thread, um, and it's the second point if you're taking notes, spirit-empowered, spirit-empowered. And so the other reality running through this is the anointing of God, a unique anointing of God is upon Jesus in his messianic. There's a unique anointing of God upon Jesus in his messianic work. So we pick up here in verse 15. So Jesus withdrew. He continued his work. He healed them. He ordered them not to make him known. Don't overthink that. Jesus knew his ministry ended in Jerusalem, and he was only going to go there in God's timing. So this theme is going to build as we go through Matthew. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And what we have in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 is a a quote slash paraphrase from Isaiah chapter 42. From Isaiah 42. Um, we, We also see Isaiah 42 showing up and being quoted in the baptism narrative where Jesus was baptized and the the heavens opened. And the Lord said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. 
But Matthew and Jesus are claiming that Jesus is the servant promised here. So, so listen, picking up in verse 18. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So Matthew's claiming that, that this was foretold of Jesus, the Messiah, who was to come. Matthew's claiming that Jesus carried out his ministry in fulfillment of this. But let's hone in because of where the passage goes on that second part of verse 18. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. I'll put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, I want us to focus on this first phrase, I'll put my spirit upon him. And he, because that's the, what takes place over here in verses 22 through 32, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, that's going to be what guides our conversation on the second half of Matthew 12 next week. So for today, I will put my spirit upon him. And this is what's really important for us to get our mind around. In the Old Testament, when the spirit of God was put upon someone, it was for a purpose. And that purpose was almost always to speak the word of God, to do the work of God, or to bring victory for the people of God. So when the Spirit was put upon someone, it was to do the work of God, to bring victory to the people of God, or to speak the word of God. So when Isaiah says, I will put my Spirit upon him, what that means is, I will put the unique anointing of God upon him to do a unique work of God in a particular space and time. The Spirit is upon him. And because the Spirit's upon him, he'll proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He'll not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. His kingdom will not be built like other kingdoms. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He will relate to his subjects very differently. He will nurture them and care for them. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. All of these things will unfold because I will put my spirit upon him. Okay, you with me? Okay, now let's go forward. So then Jesus, with the Spirit upon him, heals the demon-oppressed, blind, and mute man. And the people say, can this be the son of David? Can this be the one? Is he the servant? But the Pharisees say, no, he's of Satan. Jesus says, no, it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out the demons. And because the Spirit is upon me, 
I am the servant and the kingdom of God has come upon you. You are experiencing the kingdom. So what Jesus is saying is these works wrought by me, the son of God, me empowered and anointed by the spirit of God tell you that the king and the kingdom are here and that you're through me, Jesus, experiencing the power of the kingdom. Jesus is the unique son of God through whom the blessings and healing and redemption of God flows. And so he then moves to this, this verses 30 and 31 and 32 have been so misused and so misappropriated to spread fear and doubt to the people of God. He moves into this and it's really not hard to understand I'm anointed by the Spirit of God to do the work of God. And you're saying, no, you're not. You're filled with Satan. You were of Satan. And Jesus simply says, beware if you perpetually call the work of the Spirit the work of Satan because you're rejecting the Savior. You're rejecting the Messiah. You're rejecting the King. So Jesus gives us a, a version of I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. He says it very simply. Either you're with me or against me. Either you receive me or you reject me. Either you acknowledge the work of God in me, that I'm the bringer of God's kingdom, or you reject God, you reject God's king, and you reject God's spirit. And if you continually, persistently, fragrantly, and willfully reject the Son and the work of the Spirit, then you will be separated from God forever. Period. So very simply, friends, The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the work of God to Satan. That's it. And it's not accidental. It's persistent. It's not like a one-time slip up and separated from God forever. It's an outright rejection of God and God's Son and God's Spirit. All other sins... He is eager and quick to forgive because he's the Savior. So the flow of this is Jesus is empowered by the Spirit. Don't reject Jesus. Don't reject the Spirit. But verses 30 and 31 and 32, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Here's what often happens in teaching settings. A preacher does this. So what is blasphemy against the Spirit? We need to have a list because if you do those things, you're not going to be forgiven. That's not the approach. How many Christians have walked around wondering, like, have I accidentally committed blasphemy against the Spirit and, like, God is against me? That's not what Jesus is saying. What if I say the, the, 
the wrong magic incantation and separate myself from God forever. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is how we respond to him has eternal consequences. And in in a, a Hebrew context, words like blasphemy don't come accidentally. According to Craig Blomberg, they bear the flagrant, the willful, and the persistent rejection of God and his commands. Flagrant, on purpose, willful, unyielding, persistent, unchanging, rejection of God and his commands. If we flagrantly, willfully, and persistently reject the Savior, then we will be separated from him forever. So Jesus is warning the Pharisees that their hard-heartedness, hard-heartedness is on display and there are eternal consequences for their hard-heartedness. But as I was talking to some of our pastors and we were praying before the service and talking about this section, um, one of our pastors said, yeah, I mean, like anybody who's asking the question, I wonder if I've committed blasphemy against the Spirit, that's probably a sign that their heart's in the right place because they're worried about honoring the Spirit. And they're worried about honoring the Savior. So some of us have grown up in settings where we've been taught that we can move in and out of the love of God. We've been taught that we can move in and out of the saving power of God. We've been taught that we can move in and out of the kingdom of God. And so passages like this just scare us to death. I mean, I was mean to my kids this morning. Did I move out of the kingdom? I was mean to my kids this morning. Am I preaching as an unbeliever right now? I argued with my coworkers the other day. No, that's not, that's not, there's nothing in the scripture that conveys that the people of Jesus move in and out of the kingdom. If we're in Christ, we're in Christ and we're his forevermore. And if we have a pricked conscience, if we have the conviction of sin, if we are waiting in the brokenness of our poor decisions, We have a Savior who's eager to heal and redeem and restore all who cling to him. Let's go back to verse 20. A beautiful truth. A bruised reed he will not break. This is a very fragile plant. He won't break it. A smoldering wick. This is a really small candle wick that's just barely hanging on to flame. He's not going to quench it because if it belongs to him and it's of faith, he's going to fan it and heal it and nurture it. That's the kind of Savior this Jesus is, anointed by the Spirit. Because Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God to carry out the work of God and bring the kingdom of God, we can have great confidence that he is for 
all who come to him. We can have great confidence that he works for and ministers to and cares for all who run to him. So let the cry of our heart be, run to Jesus. Let the cry of our heart be, cling to Jesus. Let the cry of our heart be, if I have Jesus, then I am of the Lord and I am of the kingdom and I will work for the kingdom and I will experience the kingdom forevermore. But I tell you, the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. There is a warning there, and I am not going to defang it this morning. If we reject the King and we reject His work, there, are, there is an eternal separation from God that's real. It's real. And my hope this morning is that any of us who are rejecting Christ would, would reconsider reconsider so our father in heaven would you please work in this gathering and stir within all of us faith and hope and love help us oh God we pray in the name of Jesus the son And we pray this we pray this in hope. Amen.